We're in our continuing Bible study in the book of Luke and in chapter 23. Actually, we're going to be backing up a little bit into the close of chapter 22 and pick up a few uh, nuggets that uh, came to light. And and I think I, I brought this up many years ago when I taught through the book of John and then again in Mark. And this is the third gospel that we've uh, gone through. But uh, anyway, apparently I had forgotten it. <laughs> it was so pertinent that I felt that it was worthy of uh, going back and backing up a little bit for a few minutes. <clears throat> I really liked in our bulletin this morning this uh, article from John Newton that he said, I consider all second causes and instruments as mere saws and hammers in the divine workman's hands. The, they can neither give us pleasure nor pain, but as our Lord and Savior is pleased to employ them. So how he uses uh, all things according to his purpose is really uh, pertinent in our lesson today and has been. Uh, In our last week, we were in uh, the beginning of chapter 23 when Jesus was uh, brought before, uh, brought into Pilate. And at first, as I was looking to start off in verse 6 today, uh, I felt like a hawker. Well, this is just so obvious and plain that it needs no comment by me. <laughs> Just read it. <laughs> but there's a lot of things here that are of interest that that uh, I did uh, was able to dig out. So uh, we'll kind of look at those as we go through. So uh, the name of today's lesson is. Uh, doing exactly what I determined before to be done. And that was, you know, as Christ was in front of the Sanhedrin, as Christ was in front of Pilate, he would look at them with that view. Everything you're doing, you're doing exactly as I determined it to be done. And all the types, uh, as we've norms been going through all the Old Testament and all the types and shadows and pictures and metaphors are now unfolding in reality and in time as recorded by Luke, the physician. And so everything that we've read about, and we go through the Old Testament, and Norm goes through it and says, well, this is a, this is a type and a shadow of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This is a type and a shadow of Christ redeeming his church. This is a type and a shadow of the things that Christ would go through in behalf of his people as their substitute. And as we so often mention, as it's uh, written in Luke uh, 24, he he expounded to them in the all the things in the in the law and the prophets concerning himself in all the Bible. And so we, we, we believe that. 
that all the Bible, everything that's written in the Bible is somehow about Christ redeeming the church, somehow about him, even though that we may not particularly see it. But as, as it pleased him to reveal it to us, once in a while we get an inkling as we look through that, that lattice work that Norm so often talks about, as we look through that glass darkly, as Paul said, that uh, we can just see the little glimpses of it. And, you know, in the previous uh, chapter, we, in chapter 22, we read about they arrested Jesus that night and then they took him uh, away and they they took him to the where the Jews held their court and and he was kept in an outer courtyard area and abused by the guards all night long and they blindfolded him and slapped him around and said prophecy who it was that hit you you know and mocked him and and the in early when it was day they brought him to the 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 sanhedrin the court of the jews and questioned him and if thou art the christ tell us plainly and <clears throat> You know, in Luke, if you want to back up to one chapter, Luke twenty-two sixty-seven, he said, If I tell you, you will not believe. I could tell you exactly, but it won't do any good. And in, you know, in some of the other chapters that we read and the uh, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, it's no. It's not that he has a crystal ball. He just he has determined his sheep from before the foundation of the world because God gave him those children to redeem, as it tells us in John 17. Thine they were. Thou gavest them to me. And so he knows exactly. He he says, I know my sheep, and they hear my voice. To these guys, he says. You cannot hear my words. You cannot believe because you are not my sheep. That's a quote from a paraphrase, actually, from John ten twenty six and John eight forty seven. Those two times that he was uh, in front of these same folks, and why do you not understand my words? Because you cannot hear my words. You cannot. It's like that word "cannot" means that there, you have no ability to hear my words. You hear them physically, but you can't hear hear them spiritually. You can't believe, and you can't hear. That's you know people look people in religion today. They look at it. Well, that's harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> Why can't we believe? We've got ears. We've got eyes. Why can't? But he said, you know, you it's no good to tell you because you won't believe it if I told you. And I tell you, and you can't hear it. He's not casting his pearls before swine, is what he said in uh, Matthew 7, 6. It's like, it's not going to do any good. I'm here to do exactly what was determined to be done from before the foundation of the world. 
And so in Luke 23, verse 1 through 17, the whole multitude of them arose and led him into Pilate. And so they've, they've already met in secret and said, this guy's got to go. And when they brought him in to that Sanhedrin and they're quizzing him and saying, tell us plainly whether if thou art the Christ, tell us plainly. Speak up. They, they adjured him, it says. They, they demanded an answer. And he said, Art thou the king? Art thou the Messiah? And he wouldn't give them the... the he said, Thou sayest, you, you're saying the truth, but you don't believe it. You're saying the truth, but you have no idea what it means. You have no idea of the context of it. And as I was kind of reviewing this and studying it, that as he was being brought before the Sanhedrin that had actually previously plotted his death and now they sat in judgment against him. The reply of Jesus to them as he stood before them and they sat claiming to be under the rule of God as it's recorded in uh, uh, Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, 69 and in Matthew 26. Let's... Uh, Let's look over there at Luke 22. Let's uh, start in verse 66. This is really potent. This is really powerful. As soon as it was day, the elders and the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And also, if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. So, I've read that passage many times, and we just think, he's just telling them, you know, pretty, pretty soon I'll be crucified and resurrected, and then I'll rise and I'll be sitting on the right hand of God. But when we look at that and we put it together, they're sitting in judgment against him. And he says, pretty soon I'm going to be sitting in judgment. Hereafter shall the Son of Man be sitting on the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. That's Matthew 26, 64's uh, record of it. Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Isn't that a, isn't that an a interesting answer? You guys are sitting against me, but hereafter I'll be sitting, and you'll be on the receiving end. But they did, they said, we don't get that. <laughs> that does not compute. We don't we don't understand that. He'll be sitting, and they will. They will be standing there in judgment. And, you know, he seems to reflect that, what he caused to be written in the Psalms. And that's just what we always find. Anything that we run into in the New Testament, he's had that written down 
beforehand. And, and many times it says, as it was written, as it was written. But many times they don't make that little notation, but we find that it was written. Uh, most of the time we find that that's what's really happened. And, and in Psalm chapter 58, the first couple of verses of Psalm 58, uh, it's written, do you, do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. So they were supposed to be the ones that were in charge of the gospel. They were supposed to be able to make judgments based on the, the word of God. And yet their hearts worked wickedness. In Psalm 94 and verse 19 through 21. Let's imagine what was going through the mind of Christ as he was standing there in front of these people and he just told them that, you know, soon I'll be sitting in, at the right hand of power. In Psalm 94 and verse 19, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. In the multitude of my thoughts within me as he was in front of those people and they were conniving and lying and condemning him to death, he was thinking about the people that he his death was redeeming. He was thinking about the ones God gave him from before the foundation of the world in the covenant of grace. You know, we we read that verse from uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of, one of our favorite verses he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And the way that comes about is through what he's going through at this very moment in Luke 23. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. It's it's just beyond our ability to imagine that. In verse 20, he says, Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? They accused him of violating the law. He, he blasphemeth because he says he is the Son of God. Tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. Psalm ninety four twenty one. Isn't that utterly amazing? And and to think that he caused that to be written ages before he was standing there in front of these very people. Ironically, these Jewish religionists, this is just astounding. They took him to Pilate but they wouldn't go in because he was a Gentile. And he, if they went into a Gentile place and was had anything to do with the Gentile, they would be unclean and they, would, and they wouldn't be able to eat the Passover. 
we can't go in there and this will be unclean, ceremonially unclean. Yet they didn't consider themselves defiled by condemning Jesus to death. Isn't that amazing? And and they did it by false witnesses and incredible lies. They took everything that he said and twisted it. He said he was the king of the Jews. We have no king but Caesar. You know, they were the ones that they would have given anything to throw off the Roman yoke. The history of Israel was just like one insurrection after another. Uh, 70 AD, they came and burnt the town down and during the Passover time and when three million Jews were... I was just reading an interesting article that they didn't count the people. The Romans didn't have an ability to count the people that were coming in. There were so many of them. But they did have an ability to count sheep. And they did have an ability to look at the, what the Jewish rules on the Passover were. And they said in this particular year when Jesus was being condemned there was 267,000 sheep sold at the sheep market and the rule was one sheep per 10 people family of 10 people so they just said well we have 267,000 sheep sold so times 10 that's 2,670,000 people in Jerusalem for the Passover just by a little bit of arithmetic. And Josephus said there was like close to 3 million people in uh, Jerusalem at, at 70 AD when when the Romans surrounded it and, for, and starved them out and all those terrible things that we read about uh, later on. But... Uh, what a what amazing things. <clears throat> In their heart they work wickedness. Psalm fifty eight two. <laughs> they led then we come to chapter twenty three where they lead Jesus to Pilate. The whole multitude arose and led him into Pilate. 23, chapter 23, verse 1. You know, this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in Mark chapter 10. Remember when we went through the book of Mark? Well, it was a long time ago. In Mark 10, 32, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed... They're afraid because the Jews, the Jewish religion people, didn't like them, and they were they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying in Mark ten thirty three, 
Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priests and to the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and scourge him and spit on him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. So he gives them the cliff notes of <laughs> Luke 23, 24. Here's what's going to happen. Not that he had a crystal ball, but things were happening as he determined them to be done to satisfy God. God's going to look at the travail of his soul as this goes on. Jesus is going to be standing there saying, you're condemning me, but my thoughts are on my sheep. No greater love hath a man than he lay down his life for his friends. Pilate, the, the, Pilate had a reputation. He was a stinker from the word go. They knew what was going to trip his trigger. <laughs> he was in Jerusalem because there was going to be a lot of Jews in Jerusalem for this Passover. He was in Jerusalem from Caesarea, and so was Herod. And... <clears throat> Herod was the Tetrarch of Galilee. And, you know, Pilate had a reputation for dealing harshly with the insurrectionists. And he didn't think much of the Jews' religion. He kind of took every opportunity he had to, to stick them a little bit on it. Uh, remember in Luke 13, 1, there were at present that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So he killed them and mingled their blood with the blood that they were using in the sacrifices, the blood of the lambs that were slain. So he just said, okay, <laughs> you want a little blood? I'll mix your blood in with that and I'll kind of mock the Jewish religion and get rid of the troublemakers all in the same uh, fell swoop there. And But, you know, like we read about saws and hammers and what Norman said about the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he turneth whichever so way, like the rivers of water, he turneth whichever way that he wants it to go. And, and Pilate was one whose heart was in the hand of God to do as God before determined to be done. His, his, if you just stop and think about this for just a second about these saws and hammers things and, and that God is not a random God and that he determines everything. As it says in Acts 4.27, the Jews and the Gentiles and Pilate and Herod and all the, were all gathered together to do what was before determined to be done for that purpose. So Pilate, his whole life was destined for this one consequential act. From, from the minute he was born, he was on a path to do this one thing. He was going to declare Jesus innocent. I find no fault in this man. And yet, in the same breath, he's going to condemn him to death and have him scourged. Now, 
normally under Roman law, if you were brought in for a trial and they found you innocent, they wouldn't scourge you. <laughs> you wouldn't be you wouldn't be subjected to punishment if they found you not guilty of whatever crime. And yet he he inflicted this terrible scourging that most people didn't live through. Thirty nine lashes, you know, forty lashes save one, I think they called it. And those, we I think we've talked about it before, though. They used this whip that had a lot of arms, little tendrils on it, and they would put little bits of metal and things in the ends of it to make it cut more and hurt worse. And, and scourge, so scourging was a terrible thing, and, and, and a lot of people didn't live through it. But he was predestined to proclaim him without fault, predestined to condemn him to death, gathered to do what was before determined to be done. In Pilate in John 19, we, I, we, we mentioned this before, speakest thou not unto me? Because he said, don't you know I have power to kill you or let you go? And Jesus says, you could have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. But they were doing what was before determined to be done. And so as he's taken all these abuses, he's taken the spitting, he's taken the scourging, he's taken the, the smiting and all those things and having his beard plucked out. I think I mentioned before I have a beard for most of my life and somebody plucks the hair out of my beard, we're having a problem right now. <laughs> we're going to have a discussion about that. <laughs> Cuz that are these are these are hooked in pretty good. <laughs> my my daughter used to get my wife's dad down on that he had black hair and then when later on in life he kind of had the gray creeping in and he had the white hairs in his mustache and she'd get him down sit on his chest with a pair of tweezers grandpa can i pluck out the white ones <laughs> and she'd start plucking them out and every once in a while she'd go oops <laughs> that one wasn't white <laughs> so, so anyway that's a that hurts and you know, Pilate, he thinks that somehow a severe lashing is going to appease the Jews and he can just turn this. He, he knows that it's just a religious squabble. He knows that he's not a, resurrect, a, a insurrectionist. He's, he was there when the triumphal entry came into Jerusalem, though, and all the people were shouting Hosanna to the king. and But... I think he understood that it wasn't really going to be a threat to the Romans, but it was more of a religious thing. And he said, I'll just scourge him and turn him loose. And No, we don't want that. We want him dead, 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 dead. Crucify him. And he says, well, during their questioning, they say, well, he's been causing problems ever since he left Galilee. And Pilate says, Galilee? 
Galilee? That's Herod's jurisdiction. So he sent him over to Herod. Luke 23. And Herod... Now, there's lots of Herods in the Bible. And I thought maybe just for a second we'd just kind of run down the, the list here. There was a Herod the Great that was in charge of that whole region when Jesus was born. And remember, he was the one that the wise, he had the wise men brought to him. And where is, the, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And they said, well, in the east there, somewhere in his, in his, his scholar said, well, the Bible says that out of Bethlehem shall come he that's born king of the Jews. So he went over and had the soldiers go over there and kill all the babies that were two years old and younger. That's Herod. That was their dad. That was Herod the Great. And then when he got old and died, the kingdom was divided by his four sons. That's what that word tetrarch means, ruler over a fourth. And so there was uh, Herod Antipas, which is the Herod that we're dealing with here, Herod Antipas of Galilee. And he's the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. And we had Herod Archelaus. He was the Tetrarch of Judea and Samaria. And Herod Philip, Tetrarch of the area north and east of Galilee. So there's these, Herod was kind of their, kind of like the Chinese names. It's something like Xi Jinping and his daughter's name is, is uh, uh, Xi Jingxing. <laughs> it's all, the name is, it's the name of the family, but they all had their subname like Antipas, Her Philip, and, and Archelaus. So, <clears throat> and then there was Herod Agrippa, that was a grandson, Herod Agrippa one, and you find him in Acts twenty-five, and he was the one that had Peter put in prison, and then he gave God not the glory and was eaten by worms and all that. Stuff. So there's lots of Herods in there, but Herod Antipas is the one that we're dealing with now, and and uh, he was they were all scoundrels. <laughs> None of them was good, and <clears throat> but he was kind of a half. His father was Idumean, but he was part Jewish, and so he would have been in Jerusalem for the Passover too because it was re required. <clears throat> he gets Jesus taken before him. The guy that had his man killed, his messenger killed, the one that had John beheaded. And Herod says, hey, you know what? I'm really interested in this. I heard a lot about this Jesus guy. I'd like to see some of that magic stuff. So they brought Jesus there to Herod and Herod questioned him a little bit but he wouldn't he wouldn't answer him so the bar, the guards of Herod abused him some more and sent him back to Pilate and Pilate says well apparently Herod didn't find anything worthy of death either 
So again, I find no fault in this man. I'm just going to turn him loose. And they said, no, no, no. Crucify him, crucify him. But one of the things that we find in this block of scripture, <clears throat> Jesus, he didn't conform to Herod's wishes to, hey, I'll, I'll do some of that magic stuff for you. Got somebody dead, I'll raise them up. <laughs> Got somebody with leprosy, bring them out. Those kind of things. But they mocked the Lord God Almighty. The mocking. You know, and, and as I thought about that, we kind of all fall into that scope of that before we're regenerated, before Christ is revealed to us. We kind of mock him. Eh, it's that religious stuff. It's imaginary. It's a mythology. Doesn't amount to anything. And many people, hey, I'm a, call me a sinner. I'm a great sinner. Kind of boastful about my, my sin. Hardly any sin I haven't committed. Pretty boastful about that. <clears throat> I don't need saving. <laughs> I don't believe in the, him at all. Don't believe in his redemptive power. I don't believe in the, even the need for a re redeemer. We mock him. <clears throat> but you know, there's a couple of verses in Romans chapter 9 that describe the patience of the Lord in tolerating abuse and maltreatment to accomplish the redemption of his people. In Romans 9:22, what if God, willing to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Now those vessels of wrath, we've run into a couple of them here in Luke 22 and 23. We got those those religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders and all those that were condemning Jesus to death. We have the Gentiles that are going to carry it out. They're the saws and hammers of redemption that God uses. But they're vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before prepared unto glory. And I think that's the view that Jesus has when he's responding to Pilate. That's a view that Jesus had when he was in front of the Sanhedrin. You are, I'm putting up with you. I'm long-suffering toward you. Your time will come, but right now I'm, I'm being patient with you because you're my saws and my hammers that I'm going to use to redeem my people. I'm looking at you with the eyes of long-suffering because I'm going to make known the riches of my glory on the vessels of mercy before prepared unto glory. <clears throat> what a... What a statement about his 
he set his face like a flint to go and do this, to go to Jerusalem and to, and to do this. In John eighteen thirty seven, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And what truth is he talking about? He's talking about the truth of the gospel. He's talking about the truth of grace, the covenant of grace. And he says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Well, that's a powerful statement there. He said, these are the, the people that are going to hear and the spirit is going to cause them to believe. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And the rest are, some are going to say, oh, I heard a thunder. What a, what a powerful block of scriptures that we have here. When we condense it all, we try to bring all these, dot, connect all these dots together and look at what's going on. And now Jesus is approaching each thing as he, as he prepares to lay down his life, a ransom for many. So we're out of time. We didn't even hardly even read much of Luke 23. <laughs> We spent so much time on the background stuff, but, but uh, I encourage you to if you get time to read through Luke 23, 1 through 17 as he deals with these uh, various people that are the saws and hammers of redemption. So until next time, be free.